You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, like Kari said, my name's Doug. I serve as one of the pastors here on staff. And if you weren't with us last week, you missed an amazing sermon by Tyler Bowman. He started a conversation about what it looks like to find your purpose in this life. And this morning, my goal is really to build on that and say, hey, once you've established, this is sort of my purpose for my life. Now, where do I live that out? Like, what is the place where I live out my purpose? And really, at the end of the day, here's where I hope we all end, that you see there is a place for you in this place. Now, why did you hear from Tyler last week and you're hearing from me this morning? That's because our pastor and his family were able to get away for their summer vacation this past week. And we wanted him to be able to travel last weekend without worrying about his sermon and then spend that time with his family this week so he didn't have to worry about today. Now, he will be back with us next Sunday, okay? I'm as excited as you are, I promise, okay? He, he will be back next Sunday. Uh, but we're gonna spend some time today talking about how to help you find your place in this place. You know, I love sort of watching movies, watching TV shows, and kind of looking into those shows and saying, hey, if I was one of these characters, who would I be? Right? So you watch like Hamilton, you're like, mm, I don't want to be Alexander Burr, right? And then you, you kind of watch, you watch The Office and you're like, I'm not Dwight Schrute, right? I'm Jim. Well, newsflash, we can't, we can't all be Jim, okay? So if you're looking around your friends and you're like, who's the Dwight? Okay, just, just be aware, it could be you, all right? That's just how it is. Listen, we do that with shows and movies and all kinds of things, but we also do it when we read the Bible. Even last week, we heard Tyler speaking about Peter, and he talked about Peter's a man of action, but he kind of got ahead of himself a lot of times, and he would misstep, and you say, man, that just feels like me. Maybe you read Luke, that's who I like a lot in the Bible. He's just very detail-oriented, very organized. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't flow a lot, he's like by the script. That's kind of that's me, okay? But sometimes we don't even look at characters. We, we know stories in the Bible. And we go, I think I'm in that story. Well, here's what I wanna do. I wanna show you a story that was meant for you to hear today that was told 2,000 years ago by Jesus. That literally he was telling it to a group of individuals who were sitting with him. But in that moment, he was thinking of you being in that audience. It's in Luke 15. It's an old story that I really want us to hear in a new way. And it's referred to as the prodigal son. It's Luke 15. So if you have a Bible, you can turn it on, you can open it up, go there. I'm gonna have it all here. Let me start in verses one and two and sort of set up the scene. So Jesus is teaching and it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So this statement, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, this was meant to be a dig at Jesus. The problem was it became a compliment. It was literally the mission statement for his ministry and his life. And whenever we see Jesus teaching in public, inevitably there's almost always two groups of people who are present. The first are these tax collectors and sinners. These are people who are not very religious by their nature. These are people who sort of live for themselves, maybe for their family and their friends, but they're really not driven by any higher purpose in life. And they drive this other group crazy, this group called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Maybe your version of the Bible says Pharisees and scribes. These are very religious people. They take uh, their religion very, very seriously. And they are very determined to give right answers about God. Here's the problem with the Pharisees. So many times they confuse being right about God 
with being right with God. See, there's a big difference between being right about something and actually having rightness in your life. They were constantly mad at Jesus. And I think we could say it this way. They were mad at Jesus because Jesus always makes a place for people who don't deserve a place. That's what really drove them the most crazy. He made a place for people that in their mind don't deserve a place. They're not right. They don't do things right. So Jesus is sort of fed up with them at this point, And he's gonna tell three stories. Now these are actually called parables. It means they're made up stories that actually have real truths in them. And he's gonna tell them back to back to back. He's gonna put one on top of the other, no break. So there's this audience, right? It's Pharisees and scribes and it's tax collectors and sinners. And they're sitting in front of Jesus. He goes, let me tell you a story. And the first story he tells them is about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And he says, imagine there's a shepherd, he has a hundred sheep, one goes stray. He goes missing. He leaves 99 to go find the one. And when he finds it, he celebrates. And he says, okay, it's not connecting. I imagine there's a lady who had 10 coins. That's all she had. And she lost one. So she searched all night long. And when she found that one coin, she celebrated. And it's still not connecting. So he says, well, let me tell you a third story. And sometimes we would say these three parables are the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. But again, the more popular name is the story of the prodigal son. So it starts in verse 11, and here's what it says. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So in this little set of verses here, we are introduced to the two first main characters. The first is referred to as the man. He's referred to the rest of the time as the father. So here's what we know about this father, okay? First is right here, he has two sons. Now we're gonna spend so much time talking about one son that it's easy to forget he actually has two sons. Here's the second thing we know about the father. He's wealthy. That there's gonna be a time of need in the land and somehow he has more than enough to provide for the people in his house. So we know he has two sons, we know he's wealthy. And here's the third thing, we know he is heartbroken. Throughout this story, the father spends more time heartbroken than he does celebrating. And I think we're gonna see why? And it's because of the second main character, and that's the younger son. So let me tell you what we know about the younger son. We know this. We know that he's unhappy. We don't know why he's unhappy. Jesus doesn't tell us why he's unhappy. We don't know what has caused this relational tension that he has in this home, but we know he's unhappy, and we know he does something that most of us do when we're unhappy. He starts to think he knows what's best for his life. He thinks he knows what's best for his life. Basically, he, he says to himself, you know what? I'm pretty much, I'm done with this farm. I'm done with this family. And dad, I'm done with you as my father. I think that's what's best for me, right? I'm tired of being here. You're kind of tired of having me here. So why don't we just fix this? So what does he do? He comes up with a painful plan. Literally, what we just read was that the younger son went to his dad and he said, hey, dad, when you die, I get an inheritance, right? And the dad's like, yeah, that's part of the law. And he's like, okay, well, why don't we just cut to the chase? Why don't we just skip to the end? Why don't you go ahead and liquidate the assets that would be coming to me at that time, give them to me, I'll take what's mine, and I'll just go on. And basically what he says to his dad is this, you're more valuable to me dead than you are alive. And then we learn the fourth thing about the son, and it's this that his reality isn't gonna be clear until it's too late. The reality of his plan isn't gonna be really clear to him until it's completely too late. So let's look at his plan unfold. The father agrees and gives him half his portion. Look at verse 13. It says, not long after that, 
The younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now we don't know the country. It doesn't matter the country. It's a made up story. It's a parable, okay? But the idea is this, that he said, this farm, this farm is just a launch pad to anywhere else in the world. I'm out of here. See ya, gone. And he goes as far as he can in the opposite direction of everything he's ever known and everything, everyone he's ever known. And he goes to this distant land and there that statement, he squandered his wealth. It actually is translated, he didn't hold back a dollar. He didn't hold back a dollar. Uh, I have little kids, so I remember being a little kid and seeing the cartoon and now there's the new sort of live version of it. But if you've seen Aladdin and you think about the, the scene where Aladdin goes from being sort of this homeless little street kid to becoming an overnight prince, and he walks into town for the first time and he's got elephants and musicians and dancers and it's this crazy scene. That's this guy. He literally walks into a new town with a bag of cash and he's like, who likes to party? And that's his life. He lives however he wants and he lives basically reconciling himself to no one. And here's what he learns. He learns that life is not what he thinks Check out what happens. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So here's the context. We think this young man probably was Jewish and he goes away to a distant land where pigs are not considered uh, really spiritually unclean. They're just kind of gross. And he ends up hiring himself out to somebody in the land to care for pigs. And instantly the hearers in that original audience would say, well, man, he's definitely physically unclean at this point. And then they would say, man, because he's, work, he's living and he's working with pigs, here's the deal. He's spiritually unclean. And we know one thing about him is he's relationally unclean, right? Because he has broken ties with his family. And he learns a lesson that so many of us have learned in our life, but it didn't become clear until this moment. And it's this right here, that it's easy to get people to hang out with you at a party, but it's really hard to get someone to sit with you when you're in pain. It's really easy to get people to hang out with you when you're at a party, but it's really hard to get someone to sit with you when you're in pain. He literally had no one who was caring for him. No one gave him anything. And he found himself jealous of these pigs that he's caring for. And, and he has this moment where he's thinking, this, this can't be right. This, this isn't how it's supposed to be. So look what happens. It says, when he came to his senses, I just wanna pause there. When he came to his senses, it's like he got so sick and tired of being sick and tired. He was willing to make a change. And see, doesn't this already feel like you're starting to fill your place? Some of us were like, man, that's my story. I mean, I was literally just saying this out loud this week and I thought I wasn't feeding pigs, but my life was full of garbage. This is my story of when I came to my senses. And this moment of coming to his senses, it's like his mind was open and he learned another lesson. So many of us have learned the hard way, right? That my ears aren't open to new ideas until my hands are empty. I mean, he wasn't gonna listen to anybody else's plan until he ran out of the ability to work his own. So his ears weren't open till his hands were empty. And he comes up with this plan. He says to himself, this is not how God made my life. This is not how I'm supposed to live. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? 
And here I am, I am starving to death. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna set out. I'm gonna go back to my father and I'm gonna say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Can we go back a slide real quick? I wanna show you something here. When he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you, that's a realization of the depth of him realizing what he had done wrong. That he realized his break in his life wasn't just this way with his father, his earthly father, but it was this way with his heavenly father. And this moment that we see played out here is something we call repentance. You ready? Here's how it looks. It looks like he got all of his wealth and he said, I'm leaving the farm and going as far away as I can as possible until he basically ran out of the ability to keep going. And then he came to his senses and said, this is not how my life is supposed to be. And he turned and he went back in a new direction. You might say he came up with a new plan to go back to an old place. So he goes back in a old direction. And that's what we do in our life when, when we repent, okay? So at this point, the people who are listening to this are thinking, well, what's gonna happen? Right, the original audience, the tax collectors and sinners are like, man, I feel like that son, that I'm finding my place here. The Pharisees and scribes are saying, that kid's in for a rude awakening. I sure wouldn't wanna be him when he walks back to the, to the farm. But you see, he gets up and he went to the father on the next slide. That's the moment that made all the difference because it's like his plan went from his head, from his head to his heart and his heart to his feet and his feet to his father. See, that's the moment that makes the difference in our life. It's not just realizing something's wrong, but then responding to what God's telling us to do. So let's look at what happens when his new plan plays out. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And the father ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Think about this. Everything this boy had, he had sold. There's no way he had nice clothes. There's no way, because there's no way he would be starving and wearing nice clothes. He is in filth. He's gross. He's unclean, again, physically. He's unclean spiritually because he's been working with this unclean animal and he's unclean relationally. And what's the father's response? To run, to embrace, and to hold him. The father just didn't care. And we learned something, again, it's a truth for our life and it's this, that nothing about this son's life affected his father's love for him. Nothing about this son's life affected his father's love for him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this in your life. I can think of a very particular instance. Uh, we have two children and when my uh, firstborn was born, my son was born, we went to the hospital that morning. We were in labor. I say we, it was a joint effort. Okay, so we were in labor. We go to the hospital. Uh, we go in the room. Look, there's lots of crying, lots of yelling, lots of tears, okay? And, and that was me. Rebecca was there too. Uh, but my son is born, right? So my son, he's there. And they, thank goodness, they kind of get him clean and they hand him to me. Here's the first thing I ever said to my son. I held him in my arms and I said, you are my son and nothing will ever change that. I love you. And that's as close to this moment as I can ever relate as a father in my life. That there's nothing my son will ever do that'll ever change how I feel. Now the Bible says as an earthly father, I'm almost evil compared to the heavenly father. So if you're in the room and you're like, man, this story is just, I'm seeing my place all over this story. No, this is your place. This is how your father feels. 
Nothing about your life affects how he feels about you. So look what he says. The son said to him, Father. So he goes into his rehearsed statement. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And look what happens. The father just interrupts him. It's like, he, it's like, it's like the father doesn't even hear it. He just interrupts him. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick. You get the sense like he's like, quick, quick, quick. Bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You see, what I love about this moment is there's a two-part thing that has happened. It happened for the son, and I wanna encourage you to see it's happened for you if you're a follower of Jesus. Here's the first part. The son knew that he was wrong in his life. He knew that there was a whole lot of mess that needed to be made up for. That you might say he had a whole lot of debt in his life to the father. And he goes to the father and he says, I don't know what I can do to fix it, but if you'll just let me be one of your hired servants, I would be happy just to be here on the farm with you. And the father runs out and he grabs him and he holds him. And here's what you need to hear. That is a picture of forgiveness. When the father runs out and he embraces him and he holds his neck, that's forgiveness. It's almost like the father is saying, okay, everything that you're in the negative, I'm bringing you back to neutral right here. And we think about the story of the gospel and we think, man, that is the story of what Jesus did for me. All the wrong I did in my life, everything that I couldn't fix on my own, Jesus paid for on the cross. He died a death for me. And I would say that's only half the story and that's only half the gospel because the story moves on and what does the father do? He says, bring the robe that's reserved for the best guest. Bring the ring, this is the family ring. This is what lets him go to town and when he's buying things at the store and they say, how are you gonna pay? He says, you can put it on the ring because I'm in this family. And he says, bring the sandals because the sandals were not worn by everybody. They were only allowed to be worn by the people who lived in the father's home. See, the story of the gospel is not that you and I were in sin and that we have experienced forgiveness. That is half. The other half of the story is we have experienced restoration. That's what happened with this son when the father said, you're home, I don't care what you did and you're not going anywhere, you're mine. And you're back in this family. And, and I just wanna kind of pause and I want you to hear what I think was happening. See, in this son's mind, he wanted to hear two words. He wanted to hear, you're hired. That's really all he wanted. Dad, will you just say, you're hired? But instead, his father said, you're home. That's the story of what Jesus has done for us in our life. That's why we celebrate every week in this room. But as amazing as this statement is that you're home, I think it's what he didn't hear that might be absolutely deafening because here's what the son never heard. What have you done? What have you done? He never heard, look at you, you're a mess, you're a mess. And he never heard this. Well, here's what you're gonna need to do if you're gonna move forward here with this family. Here's what you're gonna need to do if you're gonna move forward with this family. And I think that's so important because it matters for you and me. Here's why, because God's grace never comes with guilt from our past. It never comes with shame in our present or conditions for our future. Listen, that's so important that God's grace never comes with guilt from our past, 
shame in our present or conditions for our future. Instead, God's grace always comes with forgiveness for our past, freedom in our present, and a whole list of promises for our future. So I hope even right now we can kind of say, there's your place in the story. Every one of us are there. You're either already at the family farm, restored to the father, or you're on the road home right now. And that is where we are. And I wish I could tell you, this is where the story ends with getting the robe, getting the ring, getting the fatted calf, getting the sandals and having a party, but it's not. Because it's actually not the parable of a lost son, it's the parable of two lost sons. So we're gonna meet the third main character. And if this has been our place in the story, we can't make this next character part of our place in the story. His name is the older brother. And if the younger brother spent his life living recklessly, we would say this older brother, he spent his life living, quote unquote, right. So look what happens. So the son has come home, the servants are getting everything together. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. And when he came near to the house, he heard music and, he, and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he said, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. Look at the beauty of this. The father goes out to him and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never, dis and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, I am no relation to that guy. He's so wrong. He's so wrong with me and he, he was wrong with you. I have no relationship. This son of yours comes home who squandered your property with prostitutes. You killed a fatted calf for him? I just wanna kind of pause right there and remind you what we knew about the younger brother. Here's what we knew about the younger brother. Number one, he was unhappy. Number two, he thought he knew what was best. Number three, he came up with a painful plan. And number four, his reality wasn't clear until it was too late. Here's what we learned about the older brother. He's unhappy too. I mean, he never left the farm, but he's no more happy than the younger brother was. You might say that he shared the father's presence, but he didn't share the father's heart, right? Number two, he thought he knew what's best. This isn't right. I don't like your plan, dad. I'm not happy with your plan. So he comes up with his own plan and it's gonna be fueled by bitterness. He's jealous of how the father has expressed his love to this younger brother. So he shows his bitterness by saying, I'm, I will neither admit he's my brother nor go into this party. I will not celebrate this. And then what happens? Here's the saddest part of the story. His reality never becomes clear. Look what happens after he says this to the father. The father says, my son, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. I'd love to tell you that there's a verse 33. that says, so he came inside and he rejoiced. But the story ends with the brother outside, bitter, refusing to make right with anyone. And that's what's so sad about this. And I think what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's sort of looking at the tax collectors and sinners. And he's like, you see it, right? You see your place. You are that prodigal son. You're that younger brother. And here's what I want you to know. If you wanna come home, there's a place for you. 
And you, see, you get the sense like maybe Matthew was sitting there who was a tax collector previously. And he's like, it's right, it's true. There's a place for you. Look, I'm living proof. You guys knew me. I'm different, I'm changed. There's a place for you. But simultaneously, Jesus is looking at these Pharisees and these scribes and he's saying, hey, but if you wanna come in, there's a place for you too. See, the father ran to both sons. We tend to miss that, but only one responded. That's why I said, we got to see our place with the first son, but we can never see our place in the second son. And ultimately, when we kind of summarize this story, here's what I think two big things we can see is number one, that this really isn't a story about a father who had room in his home. This is really a story about a father who had room in his heart. Because ultimately, this isn't a story about a son who lived recklessly. This is a story about a father who loves recklessly. And it's so easy to miss that because we get so caught up in the nuances. But can I just tear it down a little further? So we've talked about the three big characters and the two big audience members. There's tax collectors and sinners. There's Pharisees and scribes. But I think in the background, there's always a third audience we forget. And that's how we even know this story because they probably relate it to Luke. And that's a group of people called the disciples. And I mentioned one of them was a former tax collector. And you get the sense that he's sitting here thinking, man, I know this story is true. I was that son. And in that moment, you could almost feel some of those disciples thinking, but wait, I've already been that son. What's my role now? Is my role simply not to become the older brother? And I would argue no, because there's a fourth character in this story. If there's three people in the audience, there's actually four characters. There's a father, there's a young son and an older son. And there's a fourth character we've mentioned four times in this passage, but we never talk about. And that's the servants. See, it was the servants who were there when the son left town. And it was the servants who were there every day watching the father wait for the son. And it was them who was there the day he came down the road because they got the ring, they got the robe, they got the sandals, and they went and killed the fatted calf and got the party going. See, it was the servants who actually went and told everyone the story, including the older brother. You might say this about the servants, that the father's heart, I'm gonna go on to the next one there, that the father's heart was actually the servant's heartbeat. That the father's heart was actually the servant's heartbeat. And I think as you're sitting in this room right now and we've been reflective and you say, man, there's only two places I wanna be in this story. I'm either that young son who's on a journey home. I'm on a pathway home. I'm headed back to my father. Or I was who I was. I need to know what to do. What's my role in this place now? Well, here it is. You ready? Be the servant. Be the servant. See, servants do what they're told. They rejoice when their master rejoices and they make the story known to everybody. So how do we do this? Why should we do this? Well, I wanna just point it out this way to you, ready? I wanna encourage you that we've gotta think that we're moving from sons to servants. And here's why. We're doing it for sons. Because you know that path you and I walk to get back here? There's other people coming down it right now. You just heard Kari tell us the story about Johnny who walked into this place the first time, didn't even really wanna be here, but he did. And God has done more in that young man's life than you could ever imagine. And all he knew was he was just coming in the door, but there was somebody willing to serve 
and to help him in the parking lot and to hold a door open and to give him their seat and to make a space for him here. There was somebody in this church who said, hey, if my father has enough room in his heart for you, I have enough room in mine too. And if there's enough room and enough space in his home, then there's enough space for you here. And they made a place for him. Why? Because they said, because I know where you're at. Because at one point I was a son. Now I'm a servant. And here's why I'm a servant, because there are other sons coming down the road and we wanna be ready. Can I just tell you that God is still drawing people to himself and we're very blessed that we get to see him draw them to himself through this place. As a matter of fact, as of at the end of today, we will have celebrated over 130 people who have responded to their father through baptism this year alone. And how did all that happen? It didn't happen because of one person. It happened because there was a group of sons who said, I'm happy to be a servant to help other sons. It happened because we did this together. And that's what we're inviting you into today is to get back engaged, to get back involved. Hey, when you came in, you were given a card. Most of you were given a card. I know some of you may not have it. It looked just like this. If you don't have one, there's one in the seat back pocket in front of you. Look, we've all lived through a pandemic. You know how a QR code works. Just open your camera, click it. You've ordered at a restaurant, okay? If you hadn't, you need to get out. No, uh, here's the thing. This is your chance to make it real easy. If you were handed one, you don't have to reach up and get one. It's right there. Look, when you click on this to say, I wanna find my place, basically what you're saying is, hey, I wanna know what I can do to be a servant in this, in this room on Sundays and on Wednesdays. Most of you may not know, you, you know this is a large church and we're very blessed uh, to say that. That's not our doing, it's God's doing. But you may not know the amount of people it takes every week for us to run our programming. Uh, I was talking to our staff and we did the math. Do you know it takes over 600 volunteers a week for us to have the programming we do on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights? 600 people. And you may be sitting there saying, man, I would love to find my place here, but here's the thing, I'm not Tim. Well, it's pretty clear, I'm not either, okay? That's okay, we don't need another Tim. We have a Tim, we need you. Because Tim's preaching and doing what God called him to do. That's his place in this place. You might need to be running a golf cart. You might need to be holding the door. You might need to be holding the baby. You might need to be hanging out with high schoolers on Sunday nights, middle schoolers on Wednesday nights or helping us run cameras or take pictures or push buttons in the back that do things I don't know what they do, okay? But you do because you're gifted at that. And here's how you do it. You just click this. And if you say, man, I, that's a little much for me. We'll go talk to one of us. We'll be in the lobby. Stay around after service. Some of us will be right over at that next step door. And we'd love to help you do that because we want you to help us make a place for our city. See, here's what happens. When you find your place in this place, you make space for our city. Because ultimately, these are the three things that the servants always did, and we can be true of us. Number one is this, they get ready. See, every Sunday we get ready. We don't show up and go, what are we gonna do today? Now we work all week to get ready for Sundays here. We get ready. The second thing a servant does is they tell everybody. They go out to their jobs and when they're at the marketplace and when they're in the field and they're doing what God has called them to do, they say, man, you ought to come to church with me. It's awesome. 
I'll meet you in the parking lot. I know it's a little intimidating. I'll meet you in the parking lot. You can ride with me. We'll go to lunch afterwards. You just gotta see, like, I don't know how to explain it. People ask me, what's it like at your church? And I go, I don't really know if I can explain it. It's just like something from the Bible. It's like something from the Bible. And what I wanna say is that we've got people moving from sons to servants for sons. And there's a place for them. So they tell everybody. And the third thing that we do as servants is we celebrate. And that's what we do every week here. And that's a lot more than one of us doing it. So we wanna encourage you today, if this is your time to respond, it's your time to take that step, it's really that easy. Now listen, if you are sitting in the room and you say, gosh, Doug, it's the story of that young son, that's me. And you wanna come home, we wanna make that easy. At the end of service today, we're gonna go right to that door. It says next steps, you just walk right over there. We'd love to talk with you. If you're watching online, there's gonna be a phone number that you can simply text and one of our staff will actually respond to you to help you take that next step. If you say, I'm sort of ashamed to admit it, but I'm actually the older brother. I just wanna tell somebody and have them pray with me. Come right over there. We'd love to help with that too. And then finally, if you say, hey, I've been the son, I wanna be the servant, then we pray that you would have the courage to take that step this morning. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. And we can't thank you enough for loving us. God, I just pray right now that you would be speaking to your sons and daughters, that you would be speaking to them in a way that they hear you clearly, that they are remembering as you've reminded me all week about my story and how I was that son and how you're telling me to be that servant because there are other sons. So God, we just pray right now that you would give us the courage to say yes. God, we can't thank you enough for loving us, even when we were unlovable. God, you are good and you do good. So we wanna give you our life and it's in your name we pray, Jesus, amen.